Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy with the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here today with my Cult of Hockey colleague, Kurt Levins. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Bruce. How are you this fine Sunday afternoon when we're recording this? <laughs> now that we're finally recording this on uh, Sunday, almost dinner time, and I'm a little flummoxed because I have had a fu- funky little error here that we just fixed, a technical error that was sitting in the chair behind the keyboard. I have those issues all the time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are here on Sunday uh, after a, a big spree of Edmonton Oilers cuts today, and we thought we'd do try and do a, uh, a weekly podcast. David will be back here in the next few days, David Staples, and of course the games will start counting for real soon enough, and we'll be doing a podcast after each one. Uh, but right now we have uh, a few games that have gone by since the last time Kurt and I spoke, and the Oilers were up to three wins, two losses. And their training camp roster is down to 30 healthy bodies. So uh, there was a, a whole spree of essentially nine cuts today, although sort of spread over two or three days by the time you count the waivers of yep. uh, Seth Griffiths, who got waived yesterday and cleared today, and of Greg McKeg, who got waived today and probably will clear tomorrow. What do you think the chances Greg McKeg gets claimed? Yeah, uh, I Kurt? don't think he will even though he's you know got a little bit of an nhl resume it's he kind of stacked up as a 6c here and uh no that's a lot of organizations i think they're if they're looking to fill a 4c position they might be doing it with one of their own guys so i have a feeling he'll be in bakersfield but i mean you never know with these things right so yeah, once in a long while, somebody go, somebody out there goes, "Hey, I remember that guy. I thought he was pretty good. I bet you we could get something out, out of him." Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, he's, you know, Riley Sheehan version 17.0, and everybody has their own version or a reasonable facsimile of. And you know, Kurt, as a player, maybe you have a different perspective. But to me, a team uh, claim doesn't really want to claim a guy on waivers because of what that says to their own team. It kind of sends a message of this guy that's not good enough to play in Edmonton. Well, we still think he's better than some of you guys, Yeah. you know, and you want to, you want to, you know, have a, a real solid reason to go for that guy because normally you've got, you've got uh, um, a peg in every hole. And I mean, maybe you can make it a little bit better, but usually you wind up with a second peg for the same hole and that doesn't necessarily solve your issue either. Anyway, yeah. And that, typically if you claim a guy on waivers, you're, you're there, you're really incentivized to keep him on your NHL roster. Uh, and a guy like McKay, and I don't mean any disrespect, he really is uh, an AHL guy who's useful as a call up. And so it's, I don't know if a lot of teams would claim him and use him as one of their 23 men. So, Yeah, he had something like 233 NHL games. I think I may have misidentified last podcast for him. and I was thinking of a different player, and I said 82, I believe. Uh, but he had um, uh, he played with seven Eastern Conference teams. He's never played a game for a Western Conference team. It's seven teams, and he's played NHL games in each of the last nine seasons but AHL games in eight of those nine seasons. So, I mean, yeah. he is an absolute tweener. For sure. And he played 40-some for the Rangers last year, did he not? Yeah, he had, He was uh, 
he he got more than an average season for him. So, anyways, uh, uh, he is on the waiver wire today. And uh, did he impress you? He had a couple games in the preseason. And yeah, to be honest, I thought he was fine, but I didn't think he was better than Derek Ryan or Devin Shore or Brad Malone. Yeah, no, me either. At the end of the day. Right. And I looked at his stats, and he had uh, uh, two goals and three assists last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, he's there as a, as a you know, fourth liner just to kill clock, which is sort of the general rule for those guys. And, you know, those are Colin Fraser type numbers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't mind guys like that in the organization, especially for, for a team like the Oilers. You can never have too many centers in the pipeline, right? If- right. You never know in game 65 where you need a guy like that, but I think that's probably the role he fills for, for the Oilers. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, last year, for instance, uh, Cooper Marody and uh, Seth Griffith, who got waived yesterday, they each got called up for one game. Yeah. Uh, when the team had, a, you know, a bout of COVID and they were down a few bodies and they were dressing a shorthanded emergency roster in Seattle, those guys came up and played about eight minutes each and helped them win. Yeah, so, and 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 for and for a guy like McKeg, who's who's is arguably a real NHL player, that's not a bad guy to be able to plug in there if you're stuck, right? Right. But I think he's yeah. of the stuck variety. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And he's behind all the guys that you named, and he also might be behind Dylan Holloway. Who knows after uh, the way he finished last night's game playing pivot? Yeah. I I feel like Holloway is tracking to make this team, and we we can probably talk about that more in a second. But I'm I'm starting to shuffle around the roster and determine where Holloway will fit in, as opposed to not fit in. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. I'm just sort of adding his name as a as a sort of surprise addition to the centers part yes. of, the, of the roster. I listed eight experienced centers in a, in a post I I did the other day, calling it the strength of the organization, probably the better, best center core in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Eight deep and experienced centers, of which Ryan McLeod was the only guy with less than 200 games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was, uh, uh, so I mentioned Dylan Holloway and, you know, other guys like Borgo and, and uh, Hamblin and so on that could mm-hmm. play center. Uh, but they probably wouldn't be called to within this team because they're so far down on the totem pole. Yep. Uh, yep. I you guess. cited McLeod's experience, yet he may be this team's third best center. Well, <laughs> that would be something. Right. That would be something. Oh. So we're going to talk about the uh, top battles remaining in training camp. Uh, and we're going to have a little look at the uh, at the PTOs, a little bit look at how the roster might be made up when the time comes and it's coming fast uh just a little over a week away that they have to declare the season opening roster and uh uh maybe just a little bit about the uh, winnipeg jets game the most recent game that they played last night and maybe kurt if you don't mind we can start right there you had some observations of that game i'm sure yeah you know what um the Oilers were again outmanned, although maybe not as severely as they were against, uh, you know, the Flames the other night. But still, Winnipeg on paper had the better team and was the and was the better team on the ice for the first nine ten minutes of the game. But I thought Stuart Skinner gave them a puncher's chance and held them in there. And once the Oilers found their feet, keeping in mind they flew in day of to play that game, 
I thought they dug in and gave the Jets everything they could handle, plus some. And I ended up being really pleased with the with the effort, number one, that I saw. Uh, I was really fascinated with some of the uh, lineup decisions that uh, Manson and Woodcroft made in-game. I thought they were really actively trying to see, yes. wonder how this guy does in this situation. Mm -hmm. So I found that fascinating. And at the end of the day, of course, they won, which is even if it's a no points exhibition game, you always like to win. Uh, and so I, I came out of that one feeling uh, like those were two points in quotes that I kind of really didn't expect at the start of the night, but was pretty happy to have them at the end of the night. Yeah, well, always nice to beat Jets and uh, to do so on Dale Howard Chuck night. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess it probably sucks a little bit if you're a Jets fan. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Oilers beating the Jets uh, with uh, <laughs> was the was the game that Dale Howarchuk knew. Uh, more is the pity from his perspective because he was a great player, but he was, he was yeah. he was a minority of great players on the ice, and any game he played against Edmonton was his problem. Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, uh, <clears throat> it was it was nice to get that. I agree with you 100% about the uh, fun watching the coaching. In fact, I wrote a whole paragraph about that in my uh, post game uh, of how they managed the six defensemen, how they uh, switched up with uh, forwards and nurse. Um, they had guys switching position. I never saw Devin Shore playing right wing before, but uh, mm -hmm. there he was in the 60th minute of a tie game uh, where, I mean, obviously there's no points at stake, but it's you're establishing what you want to do in the regular season, which is not make mistakes in the 60th minute of a tie game. Not only did they not make any mistakes, uh, he and Luke Esposito and James Hamblin of all, you know, was the line that kept the puck down below the hash marks in Winnipeg's territory for about 45 seconds. It was great. <laughs> that was my, that may have been my favorite shift of the entire game by by the uh, uh, by the Oilers. And just just within its context, I just thought they uh, uh, they they did a they showed the the whole rest of the team this is how it's done in yeah. that yeah. situation and. So you made course, a point to me before we got going mm -hmm. tonight that it was mm -hmm. your observation, which I thought was bang on, which was it looked like every player there for the Oilers that night wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. It's like they were they they weren't just going because, well, you know, I, I need to be man number 20. It's all of them looked like they had something to prove. Going to Winnipeg. Uh, it's uh, one of the uh, least favorite games of the entire schedule for the veteran pros, as I understand it. I've, I heard Jason Strudwick give a fantastic story about having to go to Winnipeg because Laddie Smead came down with some kind of ailment in the morning skate, <laughs> flying all the way there and then wind up not playing because Smead decided he was okay to play at game time. <laughs> <laughs> and Strudy uh, had some choice words, not not those kind of words. He was on live radio, but he had some choice words just for the, you know, what what a grind. They come up, they, they, have, they have a morning skate here. They get suited up. But, you know, in suits, they go on a plane ride to Winnipeg. Uh, they come down, they, you know, pregame skate game and then back into the suits and back home before the end of the day. I mean, that is a business trip. But, uh, you know, that's a long day. And yep. There's no overnights or all these uh, preseason games. They played, you know, four games and, you know, the the uh, three Western Canadian cities in Seattle, and that's going to be standard fare for preseason for the foreseeable. 
And each one, as I understand it, was a day trip there and back again. Yep, yep, for sure. Uh, and, and so you're you're already down a court, and you're you're <laughs> fighting for your livelihood at the same mm -hmm. time. It's yeah. it's a it's a difficult situation. But I guess in a lot of ways, it also mirrors the desperation mm -hmm. that the coaching staff is looking for from these types of players and the way they want them to perform when they're thrust into those situations. Right. Well, you know that you know a veteran pro, and then pick any of the guys from the you know the top six or the top four defensemen or guys who didn't go last night, for them that have basically got the team made already, what's there to prove by going to Winnipeg? Whereas for these guys on the cusp of the roster, which was basically everybody in the mm -hmm. game last night, uh, you know, with possible exception of Stuart Skinner, who I think is pretty safe. Yeah, and um, Pugliarvi probably. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. There's, it, there was lots of motivation for every player on the ice. And I thought they pulled together. And I like that they pulled together as a team. It wasn't just every man for himself fighting for a job. But I just thought they uh, they clicked nicely together. And, and for those guys, that long day trip to Winnipeg is an opportunity. And it's opportunity that they're here for. So 100%. For them, it's uh, so it, it, it's always an interesting game. I, I actually really enjoyed that game. I had way more to say about it than, uh, than the blowout in the season opener here against the Jets. Oh, for sure. And, 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 you know, Tyler, Tyler Benson, this is a point again that you made to me there. There's a guy who will be damn glad he made that trip <laughs> because it'll either give him a much better chance of catching on here, or if he has to pass through waivers, you know, hoping that a scout saw him along the line and he gets a chance somewhere else. And I'd sooner he get his chance with us. But at this point, right. Benson's been a good soldier. I'd like to see him get a, a an even chance anywhere. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, well, I, Winnipeg would have had their eyes open by that if no other team, because he was I think getting so. under their skin the whole game, making good passes and plays too. Scored a goal, made yep. a couple. I thought beautiful passes. And, That's the interesting uh, thing about Benson, right? He's mm -hmm. he's got skill that when mm -hmm. the the situation presents itself, he can step up. Yeah, and the one play he made that I really liked, such a subtle thing. There was a puck coming along the boards and the. Uh, high on the uh, defensive zone, about five feet inside, inside the blue line. And what he did was he hustled to the boards to protect the puck, and then he actually let the puck go through, took the hit, but because the other guy couldn't get at the puck, and the puck went out into the neutral zone, and the next teammate was on it, and uh, before he knew it, some Winnipeg guy had hauled him down, and Oilers were going on the power play. Yeah. And it was just in part because Tyler Benson made a smart play, and... and and paid a physical price to get the puck moving in the right direction. Just I love those little subtle plays, and, and yep. uh, some guys do, do naturally, and some guys just don't. Yeah, it's uh, hockey sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can you can see that with him. He's a smart player. All right. Well, Stuart Skinner, and uh, we talked about. Um, uh, well, let's talk. Let's talk about. Um, Oh, 55 now. Uh, Dylan Holloway. Is, my mind is going. Dylan Holloway, the other game yeah. star from last night for for my headline <laughs> that obviously I haven't got on my screen. Dylan Holloway along with uh, Stuart Skinner and Tyler Benson. And Holloway, to me, was the best skater on the ice for the Oilers, yep. at least. I thought so, too. Um, and and as I said off the top, I'm I'm starting to to go through scenarios now where this guy won't just be on the, the roster for cap reasons, but because he's one of their best 12 forwards. Mm -hmm. And I think you could argue that he's 
been one of their best nine mm -hmm. uh, forwards so far in training camp. Um, and I know I wrote in my nine things column this morning that, you know, I, I think the time has come to get a larger sample of him with actual top nine players. Because mm -hmm. Ken Holland's point, I think, is smart. You know, if he's just going to be here as a fourth liner, maybe he is better off in Bakersfield, even though he's playing really well. Well, the only way you're going to know if he's a top nine player is if you put him with top nine players. So I, I think in, in two of the three next games, I think we need to see him with, uh, not necessarily with Connor McDavid, I think that line's set up, but with a dry sidle or a Nugent Hopkins, uh, it seems to me that's the next logical step. Maybe I'm missing something that, and God knows Jay Woodcroft is smarter than me, but it looks like that's the next logical step to take in determining whether this guy can, can make the cut or not. Yeah, well, they've tried him now at two different positions. They've given him plenty of ice time on both special teams. Yep. Uh, he's looked quite at home on the penalty kill, and he's been dangerous. Mm -hmm. And there's been, you know, last night he got a shorthanded breakaway and hit the post, you know. I mean, yeah. And yeah. the separation he created on that play, right? It, like three steps, and, and the next closest defender was a mile behind him. Like He can really fly. Maybe not quite Ryan McLeod wheels, but but in the same postal code, right? He can really motor. Right. And when I look at that left side, it's difficult to say that Dylan Holloway hasn't outplayed Matthias Janmark, who I think has been solid, but unspectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and while you don't expect him to beat out Kane or Kane or Hyman, there's always that possibility. Well, if Hyman moves over to the right-hand side, all of a sudden there is a prime time opening for for Hollywood, so right. it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, you mentioned him not playing with top nine. I mean, he hasn't had any chance at all. I mean, there's five guys uh, forwards, uh, the five million dollar guys, right? McDavid, Drysital, uh, Hyman, Nuge, and Kane uh, that have only played one game. And guess who didn't play that game? Dylan Holloway. Yeah. So he's had literally zero chance to, you know, even share a bench yeah. uh, with any of those guys. Just that, well, that's about to change. I would suggest that uh, 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 tomorrow, Monday night, uh, the orders will have uh, many of the big guys back out there. And I suspect this time Holloway will be part of that mix. And now uh, they'll start just seeing, you know, yeah. like they did last night. You know, they, they the coaches did give different opportunities for different players with different line mates. But there was really not very much chance for uh, Holloway to play with skill, other than they did put him with Pulley-Arvey in, uh, especially in overtime. They got a couple of shifts. Pulley-Arvey, I would suggest, was uh, by some distance the uh, 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 of the established players that played Agreed. in that game. That, that yep. he's, you know, he's the one that was a top sixer last year. Let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Yep. And, you know, I think his, I think Holloway's most common line mate through this main camp here has been Brad Malone. And look, Brad Malone is a good pro, and I got lots of time for Brad Malone. Um, but if you're playing with Brad, you're not playing top right. nine minutes, right? Right. No, no, that's almost the definition of the fourth line. Yes. So, but the fact that he went from that to centering a line and where Brad Malone, I didn't think played a whole lot in the third period says to me that he was, you know, getting the push as the game yep. came down the stretch. Well, and you know, and I think if you're going to have a 21 or 22 man roster, you have, you have to have players in your bottom six who can do more than one thing. 
-hmm. You know, can they play a couple of positions and can they be on at least one of your special teams? Which is where I think a guy like Derek Ryan has got a chance to to hold his spot because he can play wing, he can play center, he can kill penalties, he can take face-offs right-handed. He ticks a lot of boxes. And in in watching Holloway, the way the coaches deployed him last night, I could see him in a number of scenarios where he can help an NHL team today, right? Right. Yeah, all that versatility. I mean, two two special teams, and he played just a ton of minutes. Uh, last night, Holloway played uh, uh, four minutes and two seconds on the power play, and 342 team high, 342 on the penalty kill. Yeah. And he played 2140 in the game. Most of the team. I mean, the coaches are really pouring him out there. Mm-hmm. And and he was excelling. And he played two two positions. And he played three on three overtime. Yeah. You know, like he did a lot of things. And and doesn't look the slightest bit overmatched physically either, which you would understand for a player of his age and maturity. But yes. he can handle himself just fine out there when the when the Seems going like gets rugged, right? Seems like it. Now we talked about uh, briefly, at least you you uh, uh, mentioned in passing something about the uh, uh, salary cap reasons for keeping Dylan Holloway on the roster. Those being that uh, if he is on the season opening roster, uh, just his salary counts against his cap and his bonuses, which he's on in line for eight hundred fifty thousand dollars in potential bonuses. They go into a pool that get paid at the end of the year and come out of next year's cap. If he's sent to the minors before the season starts and they call him up at any point during the season, he gets the cap that's his salary plus the maximum amount of all those bonuses. Mm. And all of a sudden he goes from, you know, 863000 to basically double that. It's basically uh, gets, another player, right? When he gets called up. So another player's the idea salary, of being all along that they would take Dylan Holloway, keep him on the roster to start the season, and then maybe on day, for day one, if he's on the roster, he's good for that bonus for the whole rest of the season. Day two, you have the option. You can send him down, bring someone else back up. Uh, but the point you were making, which I agree with, is that he's making the case strongly that day two, he stays here. Yeah. So now by refraction, there's a similar situation that sets up on the blue line uh, with Philip Broberry, who's uh, uh, 800, you know, he's got a $500,000 uh, potential bonus and sort of the same thing applies you you want to get him on that opening ro- roster and you kind of imprint that bonus uh, into your cap structure you don't have to worry about it until next year uh, and so the idea was that he's probably going to make the team as the number six defenseman and maybe more if he really impressed during camp but in his case the option is very realistic that he could be uh, kept on the season opening roster, but if the coaching staff has deemed that another player, and I'm thinking Marcus Niemelainen, has beat mm-hmm. him out for that job, well, they can freely send Niemelainen down to the minors to start the season, and on day two, they can flip them and bring in Niemelainen to play the game. In the meantime, they've looked after Broberry's bonuses for, I won't say if, I'll say when he gets called up later in the season, Mm-hmm. You don't want to be worrying about any stupid bonus that's messing up with your razor thin salary cap situation. For sure. <laughs> so in that case, I think it's possible. What do you, what, what, what do you think of the relative merits of Nima Linen versus Broberry in terms of how they played in the games we've seen? Yeah. Well, as I've watched it, I, I'm of the opinion today, and there's a few more exhibition games left to go, 
to to date, I think Niemalainen has outplayed him mm-hmm. for that third left defense position. Uh, and if push came to shove, uh, Niemalainen would be the guy that I would I would be playing NHL games. I can't help but watch Philip Broberg and think, you know, I think he might still need a little bit more time in the AHL. We've all heard the story about how he, he put on, you know, a whole bunch of extra muscle in the offseason. He doesn't look like he's quite grown into his new body yet. Mm-hmm. And look, there's there is no crime in that. These are these are young developing adults, right? Maybe he it just needs it. Yeah, you know, maybe he just needs a few more reps to kind of smooth things out. That's okay. I don't I don't think anyone is going to call him a uh, well, somebody probably will, but <laughs> there's always going to be somebody. I don't think anybody will say he's crashed and burned just because he needs, you know, an extra couple of months with with the Condors. Um, so if I were to pick today, I think Niemalainen's been the better of the two, def- two defensemen. And what I'll say about Niemalainen is he brings an aspect that no other blue liner except for Darnell Nurse brings. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would argue Niemalainen even brings it in a more punctuated way than Nurse does with yeah. his physicality, the way he the way he closes on on attackers and punishes them. Quite frankly, <laughs> uh, you know you can yep. usually count on five or six times a day that someone's getting pancaked into the boards. And you know, having having played the game a little bit, it's not that hit that has the big impact. It's everybody else seeing it, and the next time on there, next time they're on the ice, they're looking around, wondering if if they're in his sights next. Yeah, I think it keeps another team honest, and I think that that amount of physicality is a real plus. And Niemalainen and skating continues to improve. He was never a bad skater, but I think this is the best I've seen him. Um, and uh, as as they say, with a few exhibition games to go. It's still a tight battle, I think, and, and I think that Ryan Murray is locked and loaded to be the, the 7D on this right. club, and I think that's fine. Uh, but right now, I think it's Nima Linen by a nose. Yeah, it, it's uh, an interesting battle. I wasn't. I was happy that Brobury went to Penticton, but I wasn't that thrilled with how he actually played there. I know you were. honest. Yeah. And then uh, uh, he last night, frankly, I was encouraged by by his game and I thought in the first period I thought he wasn't good at all and then but I thought he really turned it up and uh in the uh uh third period he looked with all that power play time they had I thought he looked quite comfortable during that and on the three on three when there was skating room out there he was starting to feel it a little bit and maybe Mm -hmm. that's just the tip of the iceberg and let's hope so Nima Linen uh he's played four of the five exhibition games so far Sorry, preseason games, mm-hmm. TN. Uh, and so there's been so far out of the 90 Oilers skaters who've played uh, uh, a preseason game, uh, well, 90, 90 games played by the skaters and all, there's been mm-hmm. six games where a guy has had five or more hits. And four of the games, all four of the games he played were Marcus <laughs> Niemelainen and yeah. two other guys forwards did it once each. And with Nima Linen, it's uh, it's not a bug; it's a feature of his game, and it's yes. uh, basically his core identity as a player. And he seems to be bringing it every every single night. And you got you got to respect that. Yeah, there's a real consistency to it, isn't there? He's here to to win a job, and he knows uh, that his route to it is uh, 
shortest distance to the puck and arrive in ill humor, as yeah. uh, Fred Shiro used to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And lay it's... on the body. And it, usually every every game he gets five to six hits, and two or three of them at least are real solid ones. Yeah, yeah. His path to the NHL runs through other NHL players. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, and his... His game is without the puck. His, I mean, he's not doesn't do a lot with it. And I mean, last night he had. I, I looked at his stats. It was so odd. He had 15 different th- events on the event summary, and 11 of them were without the puck. Mm-hmm. Five hits, five block shots, and a penalty. The other guys had the puck for all those things. And of the four events that he was involved with, uh, where he had the puck, uh, one was a shot, and the other three were giveaways. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So that's not particularly good, but it really mm-hmm. sort of skewed on on his value being being on the on the defensive side of things. And maybe it's worth it to have one big bopper out of six. You want that guy in the third pairing, and I think he's there for sure. Yeah. Uh, whereas Broberry, I think you expect him to gradually work his way up. And the last point I'll make about Broberry, because we so often compare him to Oscar Kleppbaum. Mm-hmm. Well, when he Oscar Kleffbaum in year three, he played uh, most of the season in the AHL and he played 17 in the NHL. Broberry did the same last year with 23 games. In year four, Kleffbaum started the season in the press box and then he got sent down and he actually played a few games down in Oklahoma City, it would have been at that time, Uh, and then was called up and he wound up playing 60 games that year. But the fact was that he did not establish his spot on the blue line until November. And it didn't... You know, it, it, it didn't derail his career. Let's put it that way. And if the same thing happens to Broberry, I would say, don't panic. We've seen this before. Yeah. You know what? I vividly remember sitting in Rexel Place and watching a very young Jeff Petrie mm-hmm. uh, get beat like a rented mule and thinking to myself, this kid should not be here yet. Mm-hmm. Right? It's This is not serving a good purpose. And... And I think that reputation unfairly followed him through the rest yeah. of his time in Edmonton. And I thought the, the the mistake wasn't with the player. I thought the mistake was was with how the organization handled him at the time. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, right. So I'd have that's why I'd have no problem with them saying, you know, kid, maybe another thirty days and, and getting lots of reps down there is just what the doctor ordered. Anyway, my point being, they have a very reasonable option. And with Nima Line, and they don't have to worry about. Well, they got to waive him to, to so that Broberry's salary. He, they don't have to waive him. They can just yeah, he's exempt, right? Yeah. Even though he's on his second contract, he's that rare case where he just hasn't had enough games played yet, where yeah. he has to clear waivers, and so he's uh, safe uh, to send down. But they have a very real option to exchange them on day two or day six or day fifty. You know that. Yeah. Uh, so that's. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm comfortable with Ryan Murray in that seven slot. So that's mm-hmm. that's the that's the insurance policy yep. that you have in place with those two young guys. So and he played one of his games at right defense and looked looked pretty solid doing so. So that's you yeah. really want that in your number seven guy, at least I do. That I was gonna say that's another example. Yeah, another example of the coaching staff saying if we never need this, we'd like mm-hmm. to see it now, right? Right. So I thought yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, Krusty, uh, Chris Russell, he used, at the end, you know, earlier he was in the top four, or certainly in the top six, 
at the end when he was kind of a six seven that was still his sort of superpower was they could put him in at left or they could put him in at right and he was uber experienced at both yep and again with a 21 22 man roster it's pretty much essential that 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 yep. extra defenseman can play both sides or you have someone else who can, but it's sure a lot easier. It's like having that utility infielder. If you can come in and play any of the infield positions, so you don't have to move your second baseman to shortstop because the utility guy isn't good enough. And now your shortstop yeah. isn't good enough either. Yeah. You know, and it kind of ripples through your your lineup. But uh, that's uh, that's the kind of guy you want is who can uh, the guy who's you know really comfortable at playing whatever position, at least handling the defensive side of it yeah. without uh, big issue. Showing my Expos colors here. It's a Mike Lans. It's a Mike Lansing. Uh, if you remember, little Mike, he was a pretty good little ball player. Could play third, second, short. You could plug uh -huh. him in wherever, and he would play. So, right on. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the battle at uh, 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 three left defense. We already talked a little bit about uh, well the Holloway situation. We've got battles at. Uh, uh, Three and four C, uh, and I think three three C is kind of result. It looks like McLeod and Nuge are going to play on the same line, and the question is which one's going to play center. I keep seeing seeing uh, uh, them listed by various reporters, and they one will have one of the guys playing center, one of the Ryan's, and the other one will have them the other way around. But the truth is, they can both play center and they can both play left wing. Uh, but uh, then that puts your top four centers in your top nine. So who then plays four C? Yeah, uh, as you as you mentioned, it was interesting to see uh, Holloway get a couple shifts at center last night. I mm -hmm. have to think it would be between Shore, Ryan, and Malone. One mm -hmm. of those three guys is is going to mm -hmm. get that job. Um, and if you simply go by the guy who is. Um, probably the most versatile, I think it's Derek Ryan. Yeah. And I have not minded his game in preseason. You know, uh, he, he looks like a professional out there. Although I thought Devin Shore showed well last night mm -hmm. as well. And, and I think maybe Shore and Ryan have nosed ahead of Malone. I, I like what Malone brings. I have lots of time for him. But it feels like Shore and Ryan might have the inside track on that four-center position. I don't know. What do you think? Well, Shore's biggest uh, downfall might be is that he earns a, a princely sum of $850,000, $100,000 over the minimum, hmm. whereas Malone is at seven sixty-two five, which is actually this year's minimum plus next year's minimum, which goes up 25000 averaged out. Uh, so he's not quite 100000 less than uh, um, Shore, but better part of that. Yeah. And... The one roster that I saw bandied about by Hart Levine of Puckpedia.com. Mm -hmm. Hart's a smart Hart's guy. A couple times last time, and I forgot to mention Puckpedia.com. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Hart of uh, Puckpedia, he predicted in advance that Ryan McLeod would get a $798,000 offer. <laughs> Not yeah. 800,000, 798. And his, that was predicated <laughs> on his vision of a 21 man roster mm -hmm. that did include. Holloway and Broberry on the season opening roster uh, and then really cutting corners wherever you could and having only one of Ryan or, or Janmark on the team and having one of, uh, of uh, Malone or McKegg on the team when McKegg is gone, uh, 
already. And there was so little dollars to play with that, uh, uh, you know, even even 850 might price him out of a uh, out of the, out of the roster. I mean, that's that's a sad state of affairs. But the, the way that the salary cap has become uh, uh, polarized, the few guys making sort of all of the extra dollars and all the other guys clustered around the minimum, that um, uh, that could be the difference maker. Shore's game, I'd like to find. And I, I've grown to like Devin Shore. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've, uh, I, I think he's a. I, I, I learned to like him the most during the playoffs last year when he didn't play a game. And it's not because I didn't hate his game. I loved his team spirit, mm-hmm. and the way he was supporting the team, even though he was, you know, one of the black aces as it turned out. And I think he, you know, he's one of those guys he can help a little bit at center or left wing at the at the bottom of your roster, or he could help at press box. Yeah, which is a useful position. You know, your thirteenth forward or or whatever. But uh, he's in tough uh, because it's, unless something else breaks, it kind of solves the salary cap and gives him a little bit of breathing room. Then it's um, uh, that that could be the thing for him. Another guy who's back in the equation, we heard, is Tyler Benson at seven hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. He could make the team instead of Brad Malone or McKay. And they still got a ton of centers that can that can fill off, right? Like you say, Derek Ryan, he can play four C. What I would say he can't do is play three C. And he agreed last year at the beginning of the year. Yep. And he looked best at right wing at three three or four right wing. Uh, I think he could handle four C or you know at least fill in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, they do have options. I mean, Holloway is the other option. So. Yeah, and well, I I agree. And Benson's had a good camp and, and and comes at the right dollar. With Holloway's emergence, I wonder if that makes uh, a trade more likely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty tough to move on from from someone who you know what you're getting. Um, um, in 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 a for instance, a guy like Warren Fogle, who I like Warren Fogle. I got lots of time for Warren Fogle, but just right. let's just use him as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, love him or hate him, you know what you're getting with Warren Fogle for the most part, you know, the game in and game out. Well, if all of a sudden Holloway looks like an everyday NHL player, does that make it easier for Ken Holland to, Ken Holland to move on from one of those guys that's got the bigger salary? And then that, that kind of solves the, the, um, the, the checker game that he's having to play with the bottom of his lineup vis-a-vis the salary cap. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's for sure. If you move, were to move out, uh, um, Warren Fogle is probably the best example, just because there's so many options at left wing that the, you could replace him with. I mean, they got him playing at right wing because they, in a sense, you could say they don't need him at left wing, so they can afford to move him to right wing because they got so many other left wingers. That's one yep. way to parse it. Yep. Uh, but you could replace Warren Fogle with Matthias Janmark. I personally have liked fine. I thought he's looked pretty good in these games. He, you know, he hasn't scored any points, but I like his mm-hmm. I like his game. I like his smarts along the boards. He wins battles yep. and anticipates and gets the puck moving in good ways. And he, you know, hasn't really produced any offense. And I know he's, you know, a twenty-five point guy, but on the bottom six, that ain't so bad. Yeah, Fogel's a twenty-five point guy, right? Yeah. So, well, but for and, 1.5 and, million less, that uh, that solves a couple of headaches for uh, for Ken Holland. Yeah. Well, if your if your top nine wingers are here's another way of looking at it. If your top nine wingers are 
Kane, Holloway, McLeod on the left side, and Hyman, Yamamoto, and Pogliarvi on the right. I don't mind that either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, Holloway is one of your options at 4C, and if you don't think fourth line minutes is enough for him, well, you have the option of, of flipping him out with, say, Devin Shore. Yep. Uh, uh, or on the other hand, you say you're going to you do with them what you did what they did with McLeod last year. You say we're going to play a lot of four C, but when special teams comes comes, you're on the second power play and on a, one of the top two penalty kills. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you lots of minutes that way. And I think he's got the skill set that he could he can handle it. it certainly looks that way, doesn't it? And and mm-hmm. and against a close to NHL team in Winnipeg last night, he he looked like more than capable of handling that load. Yeah, some of them, young Jets sure looked good last night too, eh? Cole Perfetti and, and uh, Brad mm-hmm. Lambert. Oh, yep. Lambert, no yeah, Lambert. I'm cheering for Brad Lambert. I've got a got an old <laughs> family connection there, and it's nice nice right. to see him doing well. So, his, well, did, uh, I can't remember who it was he dangled coming in on the one on the one on one in overtime. Stuart Skinner saved. Things are happening so fast in overtime, uh, and I didn't have it on. I was just watching the live stream that I couldn't remember it all for the commentary, but one of, he, Lambert, just absolutely bamboozled some order defenseman yeah. on the one He has <laughs> great hands and good skill. Here, how's this for a small world? Uh, Brad's dad was my brother's best man. Oh. So it's, so it's six degrees of separation. No, it's, <laughs> Lane Lambert's not his dad. No, Ross is. Ross is, Ross is Lane's older brother. Right, Lane's his uncle, right. Yeah, Ross yeah. is, now, these days, Ross is known as a player agent, but Ross was a very okay. good junior player in his day as well, so. Yeah, well, he looked good last night, uh, uh, Brad Lambert. He looked better and better as the game went on, at least until Yesapoli Arby showed him who was boss. Another <laughs> part of overtime. With oh. Absolutely great crunching check and takeaway of the puck. It was, you know, I've been critical of Yessi in the preseason, mm-hmm. and I think fairly so. But I, I felt that he looked like he was fine in his game yeah. last night. I felt that was way yeah. closer to the to the Yessi that uh, we and probably he wants to see. Yeah, he got stoned by a hell of a at least twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we got other battles. Um, uh, but we talked about 4C. Uh, so right wing, I mean, you're you're proposing moving Hyman over, and uh, and then going with the uh, Yamamoto Pugliarvi, and then four right wing. I mean, that's where Derek Ryan goes in one theory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only other guy who I think could possibly take that slot is Jake Vertanen, and I don't think mm-hmm. we've seen him take it in in preseason. Um, I was going to make a point on Vertanen. I, I know mm-hmm. there's lots of people out there today who would have hoped that Vertanen would have gone out with today's cuts. And, right. and hey, I respect everybody's opinion. I have a theory on that, though. Yeah. Um, as an organization, um, if you just bring in a PTO, play him in a couple of games, and then toss him in the garbage, I think it makes it difficult in future years to attract really good players to come in on PTOs. Whereas if you have a reputation of when you bring a guy in, you give him every chance to make the team. And if he doesn't ultimately make it, fine. But I think it speaks volumes to future players and to agents out there that in Edmonton, you get a fair shot. Whether you make it or not is another thing, but you get a fair shot. And I somehow imagine that 
Jake Vertanen still being in camp is probably even more about that uh, than his performance, given that his performance has been underwhelming to this point. Yeah, well, it's been all of that. Um, and the organization took a lot of heat for signing this guy for, you know, other reasons that mm -hmm. sort of compiled this kind of was another log on a, on a, on a fire in one sense. Um, but the guys here, give him a fair shot. Absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on that. You, and I think one of Ken Holland's real strengths is that he treats his players fairly. Yep. When he signs guys in the summer, they, they get a shot in the fall. And when, uh, uh, and I bet you the agents love the guy. I really do. Because yep. uh, he, he lives up to what he says he's going to do with their guys. And when uh, it comes to recruitment, that's important, right? Yeah. And for PTOs, I mean, the Oilers, I mean, it, it actually is, to me, a little bit of a statement of weakness that they've had so many successful PTOs in past years. They've brought in some decent players into camp. But most years, it seems like that guy goes right on ahead and wins the job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, last year it was Colton Sevier and... Uh, uh, year before it was Devin Shore, and the year before that it was Alex Chason. I th was that the year Jason Garrison got some games or anything? Oh, wow, yeah, forgot about you know, him. There's there a few PTOs over the years. So if Ferdinand comes in and they give him that look and they say, nope, sorry, you didn't make the cut. We, you know, we were going in a different direction. They can't say he didn't get a fair chance. They can just say he didn't pa pass the test. Yep, exactly. And I'd say to this point, he's not passing the test, but the test is not over yet. I agree on so, both fronts. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's. Uh, that, I had a feeling that was going to be. You said you had a point on their, their time, yeah. and I had an idea. Yeah, <laughs> bigger picture, exactly, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, it's. Uh, um, uh, it's an interesting hill to die on in the one sense, but mm. if, you know, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to give the guy a shot, give him a shot, but uh, I don't expect him to win the job because frankly, he hasn't been anywhere near the top four right wingers that I've seen in any of these games. I, I agree. So he has been flashes and that's it. Yeah. It was a good four check the other night, which, uh, yeah. which uh, created the chance for Benson on the goal. Yeah. But I mean, I could count his highlights on one hand, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, mm -hmm. but that's that's about all I can come up with. And some of those other highlights would have been, you know, a good stick in the neutral zone, like nothing, nothing that's going to make, you know, the highlights on the Suppertime sports cast. So, well, they've already given him four of the first five games, and I mean, the PTOs are they're getting their shot. Yeah, surely each of them will get one more because otherwise they wouldn't have kept them today, right? right? And and they're short of right-handed sticks, let's face it, on uh, both the defense and up front that uh, if they're going to be playing all these exhibition games, that, you know, they're going to want... That's one of the reasons I kind of promised these guys that we're going to get some time. And when Vincent DeHarnay, for instance, got hurt, yeah, or when Raphael Lavoie and you know Ty Tulio got banged up before camp even started, it was good that they had sort of extra bodies Hundred percent games, uh, but uh, I think he'll get one more game. But uh, for for uh, for Tannen, uh, the idea was that he was going to come in and be some kind of a power forward. And I mean, uh, for a player type, uh, he was clearly the the guy most likely to replace Zach Cassian if they decided to go that way. Well, mm -hmm. I'm not seeing that player either. I mean, no. Last three games, zero hits, zero yeah. hits. 
you know, three games yeah. in a row. If you're trying to make the team, how is that possible? No, I agree. So, but I think by far and away the best of the two PTOs has been Demers, who I thought was was pretty good again last night after having a bit of an off night his, his previous outing. So <laughs> it was a disaster. Yeah, Calgary. But last night he uh, he responded nicely, and yeah. I thought you know he made one mistake where. He saw his teammates getting burned in the corner and he made a step over to try and help him out and he left his man in front and his man wound up putting the puck in the net. Um, but uh, that was an error of commission. Yep. You know, he <laughs> You're was good. Trying, to, trying to do someone else's job and of course, anyway, uh, he yeah. made up for it minutes later by scoring the tying goal after that goal that he'd been beaten on had untied it. And... Uh, you see his veteran smarts, like other than the Calgary game where I just he just didn't have it. He was handling the puck poorly until yeah. the third period, and he had uh, he had a rough night all the way around. But the other two games and and last night was mostly good, and some of it was very good. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having him as an organizational uh, depth player if he's mm-hmm. if he would go for a for a for a two way contract. Yeah. You know, that's uh, I can and and from what I understand of the guy, he's a real stand-up guy, mm-hmm. good in the room. You wouldn't mind that guy being down in Bakersfield with your prospects, mm-hmm. right? So it'll be interesting to see if if something comes of that or not. Yeah, we'll have a righty to play to mentor um, Castle Ring and Kemp and and DeHarney. I mean, I'm not sure there's quite enough room for all of those guys yeah. on a game gamely basis, but. Uh, uh, as a sort of organizational number nine, yeah, number ten, you know, where yeah. you can call him up, and you know, when you put him in there, he's not going to be terrified because he's deer in the headlights because he's never been in those lights before. He's been plenty. Yeah, of and because he's right-handed, if a, if a CC or a Barry happens to get hurt, that's not a bad guy to right. to have a phone call away, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I know I'm with you. The two ways the way to go. I don't see him making the top six or seven of this team out of camp. No, but mm-hmm. I do see him be if he was in the organization getting some games, uh, because injuries happen and they especially happen on defense. Yeah, so, what's the old thing? If you're if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you probably need, you know, eight, nine, ten defensemen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it'd be okay if one guy, if there's one guy that has five, six hundred NHL games under his belt, that that wouldn't that wouldn't suck. Yeah. Well, last year there was a place. Uh, two years ago, they only used ten D all year. When I say only, it's still ten guys. Mm-hmm. Last year there was a span when the COVID and the injuries hit, where the Oilers used eleven different defensemen in a seven-game span. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of guys wearing number eighty-four and stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> and they lost six games in a row at that particular time. Um, but that's where you know they had basically all kids they were calling up from the minors, and maybe having a, you know, one more vet because I think you know Russell was himself hurt. He was in that yes. span. Yeah, and Keith was hurt, and Nurse was hurt. You know, and and Cece got the COVID, and it was just craziness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was uh, anyway. That's where. You do want to have 10 because you're probably going to use 10 most years. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm not against it because especially those three, we didn't get the chance to see DeHarnay. No. Which is really unfortunate. Kesslering and Kemp, I like them. Uh, I think they're improving. Uh, I'm still not sure they're ready to 
got NHL games this year. Certainly not any big stretch of them. Maybe you know, yeah. a, a short time here or there. So having a righty uh, as an option, and of course you have to monitor his play too. Is he you know is he lost it or is he still no got for the, sure. You know, but you can monitor him pretty close if he's on your AHL team with an AHL contract. Absolutely. And Deharnier, I mean, yeah. And with Deharnier, I mean, he's going to be out a month recovering. And then if you assume it'll take at least a month for him to get back up to speed again. I mean, I think that's just fair, right? You you might not see the real player until Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a total drag for him. I feel awful for him. Breakthrough. Yeah. And then this happens. All right. Well, we've still got three games to go uh, uh, this week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two home games. Um, I'm expecting to see the big guys play the two home games. And a couple of them are going to have to play in the road game just because they don't no longer have, a, you know, 36 different players that played last night and the night before. Well, now they're down to 30. So there's not quite that that flex. Yeah. Uh, but most players will get two out of the next three, I would suggest, with yeah, 30 and, guys left and 20 in the, in the lineup. Yeah, and from your top six and your top four, those guys are probably wanting two of the next three games just to mm-hmm. get themselves tuned up yeah. right. So it's, uh, I think it's probably fair to say the, the game in Abbotsford is probably going to be the lighter lineup of the three. So, 100%. That's one of those, uh, one of those business trip uh, things. <laughs> out yeah. That uh, the older, the older guys, if they had the option, that you know the game means less to them than it does to anyone else. So yes. it makes sense to do it the way that they do. Actually, utterly defend that, and the price you pay is that as a home team, you don't you often get a weak visitor, so you don't get a full test there either. So really, this week, probably the last two games, we'll see something closer to a dress rehearsal. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So. Anything else that uh, we want to cover, Kurt, that we haven't no, uh, at least I touched think, on? No, I think we've we've covered a lot of real estate here. It feels like we're I'm kind of looking up and down the healthy lineup here, and I think we've for a, for at least a few seconds we've talked about everybody except Brett Kulak. <laughs> so we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that guy. <laughs> it, it's funny how you can go whole whole segments and not talk about the best player on the team. <laughs> well, he's only played the one game. And, and I mean, that, that this whole thing is about what are they doing around the edges of the roster? And one thing Connor yeah. McDavid isn't, is anywhere near the edges no. of the roster. <laughs> and, and the big highlight from the last game was him surviving the hit from Evander Kane. <laughs> so I don't know about you. My heart sure skipped a couple of beats. Well, it looked like Kane saw him at the last second. He brought his arm up and basically elbowed him in the head. Yeah, I, I was just terrified that he was just going to go down and stay oh, down. Me too. And you know, at that point, you do, you don't have much of a chance, right? And it's as just and an as well, reaction. It's not like he tried to take his oh, head off. I mean, if no. it was an opponent, you would say, "Boy, that was a dirty elbow." But that's yeah. it's just a a sudden brace yourself for yeah. unexpected contact, and it was that. And oh, as oh, solid as Connor McDavid fun. is, Evander Kane is is oh. uh, one put together <laughs> hockey player. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll be seeing anyway. more of those guys in the in the days to come, and certainly in the weeks that follow uh, this one. Once the games start counting for real, they'll be front and center, and we'll be uh, plenty of time to talk about Connor McDavid and Evander Kane and 
Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell and the boys, right? So. Yeah, looking forward to it. Probably, probably by late Friday night, we'll probably have a pretty good idea who the 21-22 men will be. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they have to declare on the 10th, and the first game is on the 12th. So, yeah. but often after that last exhibition game, while they're doing the post-game show, you often hear, you know, oh, so and so just got farmed out to the to the AHL yeah. team, you know. He's play, so he's playing of... tomorrow for Bakers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you once again, Kurt, for uh, uh, for pinch hitting, and uh, we'll be back to our regular listeners. We'll be back more to our regular schedule in the days and certainly weeks ahead when we get into the every game post game cast mostly with david and myself with uh kurt uh waiting in the wings as a ready willing and able pinch hitter from time to time and once in a long while we'll treat you with a three-man three-man yeah. podcast but uh, yeah i'm usually i'm usually better suited as the rusty stob of the threesome and can come in and <laughs> give you a decent pinch hit but it's always fun when the three of us can get together too yeah, well you're more our dh than our ph i guess when it comes to that but, yeah. okay i'll take that <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's not as a compliment kurt so anyway thanks again for doing it this time you bet and, it was fun Thanks to you, the audience, uh, uh, for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, it's been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.